Lent begins with dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from dust you come and to dust you will return. My priest spoke these words over me last Wednesday as he thumbed a cross on my forehead. A few hours later, I spoke these same words to a group of bakers as we pulled our fingers through flour, reflecting on its similarity to soil, teeming with the potential for new life. Lent begins in the desert, with Jesus wandering out to fast for 40 days. It may seem odd, given this parched opening, to begin Lent with a reflection on water. But water is where I'd like our Lenten bread journey to begin. This water prepares us to enter the desert. It strengthens us for what's to come. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you have come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. If you're following along using our Bake with the Bible program, this lesson pairs with Lesson 1 on the Temptations of Jesus. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you're about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that you are always prepared for what's to come. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from Genesis 3.19. Slow your breathing. And now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale. From dust we come, and as you exhale, to dust we will return. When I was 18, I spent seven months living on a ship in West Africa. I was taking a gap year after high school to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with my life, and life at sea sounded like an adventurous way to use my time. We spent most of those seven months docked offering free medical care to the people of the host nation. But for two 10-day chunks of time, we sailed. Nothing clarifies the beautiful, mysterious, and terrifying nature of water quite like sailing through the Atlantic on a flat-bottomed ferry. Sitting in the dining hall, which stretched the full width of the ship, we could watch how drastically the ship rocked with every swell. On the port side, we'd see nothing but water and starboard nothing but sky. Then the boat would shift and we'd see only sky out the port window and only water out the starboard side. One evening, my bunkmate convinced our whole cabin to watch the movie Poseidon, a film about a ship that gets knocked upside down by a rogue wave. Having seen how drastically we were rocking, the movie seemed way too plausible. 
Needless to say, we did not sleep very well that night. But other evenings, my cabin mates and I brought our pillows and blankets up to the top deck, which was all outside. With nothing blocking the horizon and no light blocking the night sky, it felt like we were living inside a snow globe, encased on every side with stars. Underneath us, bioluminescent plankton lit up wherever the ship cut through the water. I have no words to describe the view, except that it was dazzling. This water was beautiful. It was mysterious. It was terrifying, all at the same time. Our life in Christ begins in water. It begins with baptism, whether a sprinkling of water over an infant or the full submersion of an adult or a young child. While Christian traditions differ over their beliefs about when and how this baptism ought to take place and what exactly it represents in the life of the baptized, they agree across the board that our life in Christ is to be marked with water, being baptized in the name of all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In my own tradition, we talk a lot about remembering our baptism. Every time we baptize someone into the community, we remember the promises made over us when we were baptized too. The promises of God and of the church community to sustain us in the faith. Now, most folks in my tradition do not actually remember the event of their own baptism. We baptize infants out of the understanding that baptism is the way of being welcomed into the family of God. It's a way of marking the church's commitment to the child, to teach them in the ways of the faith, and a way of marking God's commitment too, sending the Holy Spirit as their guide. We baptize infants out of the belief that we will never fully understand the great mysteries of our faith. Rather, we must live our entire lives growing into deeper understanding. Each week, as we eat the bread and the wine, we commit ourselves again and again to the faith, and we ask Jesus to make us more like himself. When we remember our baptism, we remember the beautiful mystery of God's work begun in us. Now, I do actually remember the event of my own baptism. I had just turned seven, and my dad dunked me in the pool behind the stage at North Highlands Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. Afterwards, a friend gave me a butterfly for my charm bracelet. It was a symbol of transformation, begun right there in the water. Somehow, beyond our comprehension, in our baptism, we are changed. I like to think of mixing up bread dough as similar, in a way, to baptism. As soon as water touches flour, transformation begins. The water floods the grain and unravels the amino acids present inside. These amino acids, glutenin and gliadin, form bonds with one another to create a protein you might have heard of before gluten. This transformation cannot be undone. You can't just dehydrate dough and have flour again. Once water touches flour, the flour is forever changed. Every year on Ash Wednesday, I mix up a sourdough starter and reflect on this transformation. I run my fingers through the parched dust and imagine God picking up a handful of soil, breathing into it the breath of life. I pour water and massage it in, like the Holy Spirit descending upon the baptized, I pray that this mixture will be filled with life. For three days, it will appear dead. 
and yet I'll continue to feed it and tend to it anyway. I trust that soon signs of new life will appear. I love this rhythm of reflecting on my own mortality, my own return to dust, alongside the process of tending new life out of something that appears dead. This year, though, I noticed something I've never noticed before. While we reflect on our own mortality, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, this flower is forever changed. Unlike flower, we turn back to dust, but Jesus? He turns to bread. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread until you return to the ground, for from it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will return. This verse in Genesis, the famous Ash Wednesday reflection, is the first time in scripture that we read of bread. It's a small blessing in the midst of the language of a curse. The labor required to make bread is great. From growing, harvesting, threshing, and grinding wheat into flour, mixing that flour into dough, tending a fire to bake it, bread, like water, is at once both blessing and curse. Today, our industrial processes simplify the labor, but the prevalence of gluten intolerance is its own reminder of the brokenness of our bodies, our food, our world. The story of scripture, though, is the story of God offering us bread more and more as blessing with less and less of the tinge of the curse until Jesus offers his own body to us as bread, having taken the labor of the curse onto himself. We eat this bread to remember our baptism and to become like him. The story of Jesus' own baptism takes place right before Jesus' journey into the desert to fast and pray for 40 days. As Jesus emerges up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, then leads him to the wilderness to be tested. After the 40 days, the tempter comes to the famished Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus responds, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus did not need to turn these stones to bread because Jesus knew that he himself would become bread to feed us all. Jesus himself is both the bread of life and the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The bread we break in communion reminds us of our baptism and makes us more like Christ, but it's also a way of knowing God when words won't suffice as is the bread that we eat every day. When our faith is unraveling, when our loneliness is too deep to bear, when our hunger or unmet longing feel like they might crush us from the inside, when words cannot capture the depth of our grief, God is present with us in the tangible form of bread. Sometimes these seasons might feel like death, they might feel like we've been capsized, like we're drowning in the unknown. But even in those moments, there is something beautiful and mysterious too. Like the soil from which we come, teeming with the microorganisms that decompose what has died and nourish what's taking root, these moments that feel like death might just be making way for something new. 
In the moments when my own grief or loneliness or confusion feels like it might swallow me whole, I remember my baptism and I mix up bread. I reflect on the reactions that take place in flour as soon as it's touched by water. Amino acids unraveling so that they might bind together and create something stronger, something new. From soil we come, and to soil we will return. But in the meantime, we have water and we have bread. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about Edible Theology. Edible Theology is an educational media project helping you connect the communion table to the kitchen table. We offer Bible studies, bread baking workshops, and a digital community to help you meet God through food. It's not too late to purchase Bake with the Bible to use this Lent. Bake with the Bible is our six-week study on bread and the Gospels. Each week includes a family-friendly recipe and activity, discussion questions, and reading recommendations, as well as a scriptural and cultural historical lesson. We've got a family version you can use with your kids around the kitchen table, or a self-guided version you can use on your own. Your whole family will enjoy journeying through the gospel through the lens of bread, even if your whole family is just you and a bread-loving beagle like me. Buy your copy today on our website, www.edibletheology.com. Our kitchen tip today is for those of you who want to reflect on baptism while you're in the kitchen. Perhaps your baptism happened when you were too young to remember, and you've never been encouraged to reflect on its purpose. Or maybe you remember the event, but you never considered it an ongoing promise. Perhaps you're in a tradition that has encouraged you to get baptized multiple times and you're wondering if any of them really stuck. Or maybe you've never been baptized before and now you're wondering if you should. To start, choose a recipe that uses a good bit of water. It doesn't have to be bread. It could be soup or a pot of rice or even the boiling water to cook pasta. As the water pours from the tap into your measuring cup, Reflect on its beauty. Reflect on its ability to sustain life, to house fish, to cause plants to grow, to keep your own body going. Reflect on the journey this water took to arrive in your cup. From precipitation into a river or a lake, from the lake to a water treatment facility, after being purified, it was pumped through pipes straight into your home, an ongoing cycle that sustains. Now as you pour the water from your measuring cup into your pot or bowl, reflect on its power to destroy. This water is capable of capsizing ships, of ravaging homes, of poisoning our bodies when it's not properly treated. It's a sign of both the brokenness of creation, but also God's commitment to resurrection. As the water comes to a boil, or as the bread dough pulls together, Reflect on the ways that baptism transforms. Sometimes your journey of faith might feel like you are floating on an ocean in the sun. Sometimes it might feel like you are being pulled under, hardly able to keep your head afloat to breathe. At all times, though, whether you feel it or not, this water serves as a promise from God to sustain you. It's a promise from the church to carry you, however imperfectly, in your moments of great distress. 
And it's a promise you make to carry the suffering of others as well. And now to close, a prayer for water. God who transforms, you created water, the skies and the seas, and called them very good. Though storms may threaten and death may loom, this water is a sign of your commitment to life. Sustain us, transform us, make us like you in our baptism, in your bread. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by the Edible Theology Project, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at edibletheologyproject. If you want to discuss this episode with other food-loving folks, then join our free community at community.edibletheology.com. We post discussion questions every Monday to keep the conversation going. Our intro music is by Josh Garrels. A huge thank you to my team, Hannah Hargrave, Sherea Calabras, Emily Thompson, Lisa Hammersham, and to our producer, Jason Rugg, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify. Then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.